Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. I think if I had my life to do over, I would have pursued a career in law enforcement, completed my degree, finished law school, and eventually ran for the office of Attorney General. I confess, I am an avid watcher of law drama, from Perry Mason to SVU, from the Pelican Brief to Billions. I watch it, I read it, and wonder if I could have been an attorney. I am fascinated by the law and its concepts. Take exigent circumstances, for example. You will recognize this concept from any number of plots from shows and movies. Exigent circumstances are exceptions to the general requirement of a warrant under the Fourth Amendment. That deals with searches and seizures. Exigent circumstances is defined as an emergency situation requiring swift action to prevent imminent danger to life, serious damage to property, the destruction of evidence, or the escape of a suspect. These are exigent circumstances. Makes for a great plot for TV, movies, or novels, and is often portrayed as an exception for the behavior of law enforcement. What if we applied the term and definition of exigent circumstances to, let's say, children and hunger, or senior citizens and food security? It might actually work. Jerry and I will break down the exigent circumstances surrounding food security in Michigan next on today's edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. Jerry Brisson joins me as always. Jerry, welcome to Food First Michigan. Nice to see you on Zoom. Clean feed. Hey, let's do a little yeah. plug for clean feed. You know, it does really sound good. <laughs> I listen to the shows after 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 we do them, and I think, gosh, that sounds pretty good. You know, not that I like the sound of my own voice. Don't get me wrong. But uh, but anyway, always always good to talk with you, doctor, and and work on the important issues we deal with to put food first, folks. Food first. That's right. That's right. Well, Jerry, there's some roadblocks to us putting food first um, in Michigan, and helping to create, as our mission says, a food secure state. Um, and we're going to do that through a variety of means. We're going to do it through advocacy. We're going to do it through resource management. We're going to do it through stakeholders. That's when we ask and answer the question, who wins when we win? And we're going to do it through the unified uh, network of food banks here in Michigan. That's, that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to do it. But, you know, on this road to food security, there are some um, detours, if not roadblocks. And so I think that there's a big one right now. And and we want to talk about that in this first segment, this exigent circumstance that does that is absolutely requiring our attention. So why don't you tell us what it is? Well, we talked about the food cliff. I bet we talked about the food cliff for the first time nine months ago, because there's been a couple there's been a couple um, things that have um, happened during the pandemic, which caused us to worry. Are we going to run out of food? Is the food going to stop? Is there going to be another relief bill? Is, you know, is the support for the work to continue to feed the community going to 
going to continue. And so it's not the first time we've talked about this issue, which is a little bit what we need to talk about. Why do we got to keep talking about this issue <laughs> of food cliffs that keep happening? But this food cliff, we just had a board meeting, a Food Bank Council of Michigan board meeting, where one of our phenomenal staff people who helps us pay attention to our, the resources we get from the federal and state government announced to us that we were going to have 28 million fewer pounds of food than we did a year ago for the next six months. So in, over the next six months, you're, we are going to lose 28 million pounds of food compared to what we had coming through a year ago um, from our government sources. Now, that is, that is not only a tremendous amount of food, but the big difference between a year ago and now is there is no pending change that's going to make that go away. We will have a food cliff. It's happening now. It's, it, it, it is creating you know significant difficulty in food banks all over the country, but certainly in Michigan. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why? And I want to I wanna remind our listeners Last week, we had the Michigan Director of Agriculture and uh, Rural Development on the show. And he had just come back from a meeting of state directors of agriculture who said their number one priority as state directors of agriculture was going to be food security, right? Which is great. And we awesome. know, we know they're starting down that path. But for the next six months, we're going to have 28 million pounds of food less. So, so this is our reality, right? Lots of potential, lots of opportunity to do the right things, while at the same time having to manage the, the national and state will to do the right thing for hungry kids every day. You can't just push it off six months. There are hungry kids today, so food banks are going to have to figure out well, what are we going to do for the next six months when we're not getting this food and we still have a bunch of hungry kids? So I don't yeah. know, doctor, how you feel about it. You know I'm excited about it. I get agitated like this. It's it's part of the reason I got into this work. But, I mean, I mean, uh, you know what I'm talking about. I do know, Jerry. Um, we do monitor this on behalf of our network, uh, and we've, we've kept our fingers on the pulse of it, as you said, since last fall. Uh, and so our listeners would remember that early on in the pandemic, um, with a lot of panic buying going on, um, there were a shortage of uh, processing. It wasn't a shortage of food. It was a shortage of processing. So that's why when you went to the grocery store, uh, maybe green beans were gone because people had overbought those and they hadn't gotten through the, the, the food supply chain to the grocery store yet. So we went to work at the Food Bank Council and we developed a contract between the Food Bank Council, the state of Michigan, for FEMA funds that would uh, allow the state of Michigan to step into the food supply chain and get some of that food for emergency purposes for the food banks. And that, that worked well. And um, one of the problems that we're seeing here is is we've known this was coming. We've known that two USDA programs, trade mitigation and CFAP, um, are both ending. They, well, one ended in December. 
that was trade mitigation. And Jerry, this accounted for as much as 50% of the food that we were distributing during the pandemic. But normally, USDA food would account for, and you know this better than I, somewhere around 20 to 30% of the food. Yeah, at the most, 30% at the most. That's exactly right. I would say 15% on a low month, 22, 23% on a normal month. Right. So that's where this food was coming from. It's not been mismanagement by the food banks. It's been that the supply to us has been cut. Well, the problem with that is that nobody told the people who are standing in our lines, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, so the line is still long, but the food is short. Yeah, I think there's a, a there's also a fair amount of misunderstanding about government programs and how they work and who they work for and and who has access to that relief and who really doesn't and who's left behind, right? And so a lot of the people that we see in in our food bank work all the time are the people that are left behind, the people that fall between the cracks or people who simply don't want to get a government help they just don't want to they they don't want to be somebody that 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 takes that help and, and i certainly know a lot of people that fall into that category not often what you hear talked about when politicians talk about these issues but in our life and in our world there's an awful lot of people that don't want government help and they would rather figure things out for themselves and so they use food banks to get that help now that's nobody's fault here or there those are the decisions that people make so we know there was just a really big costly and important uh, bill that was passed um, to bring relief to the people we serve. And it will, in fact, bring a lot of relief to the people we serve. One of the things they talk about is it's going to cut child poverty in half. I mean, that kind of rhetoric is pretty exciting. Um, and so one of the things I want to make sure we talk about on this show, doctor, is, okay, that's there. But there's also reality to deal with. And how do we how do we link the reality with a claim like cutting child poverty in half? Well, I think we can do that in the next segment, Jerry. And of course, it might take more than one segment, but we, we're, we both work pretty fast. But just just so folks realize that any time that there is a federal piece of federal legislation designed to help the community um, to get food. Uh, through these various commodity programs, it's at least four to six months before that food actually arrives at our food banks. So if it's signed today, it's a minimum of four months before we ever see it. And I think that's really important. So when you, you go, oh, well, we signed this. Oh, great. CARES Act, Families First Act, whatever the act was throughout the pandemic, it didn't that didn't affect us that day it was four to six months down the line before that food ever began to arrive to us here in michigan and so i think that that's just the semantic that may be a little bit into the the, the weeds and more information than people want to know but the fact is that it, as great as some of these acts are to help the community it takes a while for them to to for lack of a better phrase to trickle down so Jerry and I will trickle out of this uh, segment and we'll come back and <laughs> we'll, we'll pick up the American Rescue Plan Act that's been signed. And what does that mean uh, for the families that we serve? He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. You're listening to Food First Michigan. Come back and be with us. 
Appreciate you being with us. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. We're continuing to uh, talk about the food cliff and what that means for the families that we serve, Jerry. And, um, and, and you know, there's been some really good federal legislation that has been intended to help the families that we work with. And the latest one is the American Rescue Plan Act. And um, there's a pretty significant claim that is coming uh, with that act. And it essentially says that um, there's enough resource here that we could cut, uh, that the act would cut child poverty in half. Now, that is a substantial claim, and I pray that it's true. Um, because, you know, when all of these acts, one of the things it does is it can help take a little bit of the burden off the charitable sector. Because I think sometimes people forget that as great as food banks are, we're still a charity. We're, we're yeah. still a nonprofit doing this work. Yep, that's right. That's right. And, you know, so at, when I hear claims like cut childhood poverty in half, I, you know, the first thing I do is go, okay, how, for how long, right? For how long? I mean, is, is that going to be cut in half for a day, for a year, for five years? Are we putting systems in place to keep childhood poverty cut in half permanently? I mean, what does that really mean, right? So we like, we like sound bites and God knows we use them all the time, right? And there's reasons for sound bites. They're nice to remember and, and something that people can kind of latch on to. But I get leery of, of statements like cutting childhood poverty in half because I don't think the bill is going to do that for a long period of time. I don't think the bill is even designed to put systematic changes in place that are fundamentally going to change society to the point where childhood poverty is cut in half, right? I don't, I don't think that's true of the bill. So I understand why people say it. I don't necessarily think that's how I would frame the work. But what I would say is this. At times of crisis, doing something to meet the immediate need and relieve the immediate suffering of the community so that people can regroup and move on to the next success in their life is absolutely what food banks believe in. And so we're happy for people to have that relief. And we certainly support the efforts of the federal government right now to be doing that for people. We do think it makes more than a short-term difference when people have enough relief that they can move on to whatever they need to do more permanently in their life so they don't need additional help. So I'm looking at you, doctor. I think you've got a, a few words for us. Well, I, let, me, let me just pull out some of the highlights from this rescue plan that will, would give indication why uh, it's, it's reasonable to think that the bill can accomplish what it's, what it's said. Um, so this extends the 15% increase in SNAP benefits. Now, for everybody who's listening, that's the former food stamp program that, um, that people qualify for and receive as a benefit, and they can go to the grocery store and buy their uh, food just like anybody else using SNAP benefits. So that increases uh, by 15%. And that's not a small investment. Um, it, there's, so that helps put food on the, on the table, literally. Um, there is uh, some, some, some money in there for WIC. 
And that program is for uh, women, infants, and children. And that certainly is a program that could use shoring up and expanding as well. Uh, it makes uh, the pandemic EBT. This is for children in schools who are qualified for uh, uh, free and reduced breakfast and lunch. This is, a, this is a benefit for them. And that will continue throughout the duration of the health emergency. Um, we would like to see those kinds of um, benefits tied to food security rates, Jerry, not to the public, not necessarily and only to the declaration of an emergency during the public health crisis. Um, there's some good news around senior nutrition with the, the, the commodity supplemental food program. That, that provides about $37 million boost into that. Um, and there's also some help for homeless, uh, the homeless individuals, uh, folks in the home that are uh, uh, leading our homeless shelters uh, for a child and adult food program. There's some shoring up of the food supply chain. Uh, there is one of the things that everybody knows about is direct payments of $1,400 per person. Uh, um, you know, money for, uh, money for children. Uh, unemployment benefits are there. Uh, the child tax credit is there. I know I'm sounding really wonky here. The earned income tax credit, uh, just energy assistance, rental assistance, paycheck uh, protection program. There's money for all of those. That has the potential to really shore up the household so that, that, that people are um, stabilized. And I think that's one of the benefits we talk about uh, with the distribution of emergency food, that the homes are stabilized, they're empowered, and as you said, they're now free. They're free of that toxic stress of worry, about, especially about food security, and now they can find their next success. Yep, that's exactly right. And those are some wonderful things. So, so the question is, for how long? Right. For how long? And so is the 15 percent increase in SNAP for this year, for this budget year, which ends at the end of September? Is it for this budget year and the next budget year? And again, I should probably know the answers to these questions, doctor. But I really just illustrated out to to say that I think the important thing for all of us in this work is to make a safety net that works for everyone so that mm -hmm. nobody has to ever worry about where their next meal is going to come from. So a lot of these things are great relief and, and important things, and I don't want to take away from what they are, but I also sure. want to be, um, you know, when we talk about exigent circumstances, we're talking about when do, you, when do you break the door down because the circumstance calls for it. Sure. And, and, you know, the, the, the bottom line is the, the two words that, that never should go together are child and hunger, right? And so I do agree. If it cuts child poverty in half, that's awesome. But at the same time, we have 28 million fewer pounds of food coming to us in the next six months, and that's going to create child and hunger going together. And so something in the process didn't create the circumstance that we want that the safety net is going to work for everyone that it needs. That doesn't mean it isn't good. It doesn't mean that it isn't important. And I don't want to belittle it, but I also want to be careful about 
what do we mean when we make claims? Because we have to be in the reality business, not in the communications business. Well, part of your charm, Jerry, is you're extremely pragmatic. Yes, right. You know, because, <laughs> well, I mean, your boots on the ground, brother. You're, you and your other CEOs and their teams all across the state for our seven food banks are dealing with these circumstances every day. And what you're telling us at the Food Bank Council is that these lines aren't getting any shorter. Right. We have less food to give, but these lines aren't any shorter. And so, uh, you know, and again, we've talked about the K recovery, where if you have a certain type of job, you're going to continue to be okay. And if you have another type of job, it's going to take a lot longer for you to recover. And that's why this is so important to us because we live in that day-to-day -day world of people battling the toxic stress of being food insecure. Well, well said, doctor. I think that's well said. And, and you know, again, without being overly optimistic or pessimistic, I think your characterization of we have to be realistic, we have to say this is what's happening and, and this is what we know is is coming uh, in our communities when we when we look at all of the facts. Um, I again, I think we can be very happy for the relief people are getting. I think it will make the line shorter. Um, I think for the next period of time, um, that's going to be a, a wonderful thing for our community. At the same time, we still have the task of building a permanent safety net that's going to work for everyone that needs it. And so I, I just hate for us to take our eye off the ball because words are said that makes people believe one thing when, yeah. in fact, I'm not sure that childhood poverty is going to be half well, the, of what it is a year from now. Well, the worst thing would be is everybody dusts their hands together and goes, okay, that's it. We got half of it done. And then we don't, right. as if we don't have to ever think about it again. Well, let's continue to keep thinking, Jerry, and then maybe a little bit of a civics lesson when we come back, because Michigan, out of the American Rescue Plan, is going to receive about $10 billion for this, and I'd like to talk about why that really doesn't matter unless certain things happen. <laughs> so we're back in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. Dr. Phil Knight here, Jerry Brisson, the CEO of the Gleaners Community Food Bank in Detroit, the chairman slash president of the board of directors for the Food Bank Council. And, you know, as I've told you since year one of this show, that essentially makes him or it makes him think he's my boss. <laughs> or act like I'm your boss. That may uh, okay. be more accurate. <laughs> well... You know, you did have to hire an attorney so we could have in-house general counsel. And I think the <laughs> words I heard was to help keep me out of trouble. So, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's as um, Congressman Lewis said, you know, there's trouble, but then there's good trouble. So <laughs> let's, see if we, let's see if we can get into a little good trouble here, especially in this segment. Because out of the American Rescue Plan, Jerry, as I said, Michigan is slated to receive a, just a fraction over $10 billion. Um, so the way uh, it works in Michigan, as in many, many, if not all other states, that money flows into the state, but then it is the legislature's job 
to appropriate that money, all money as, as, as in regard to state revenue. Um, and so right now we have some money on the table and uh, the governor has put forth her plan and the Senate and the House have put together their plan and guess what, those plans don't match up. Uh, so uh, just recently uh, they sent a bill to the, um, the governor who, who signed a portion of it and used her line item veto for, um, for two or three, four different items that really um, it is a lot of, of, of money and support. So why is this important? Well, it's important because if we don't appropriate that money within the specified time frame, that money goes back to the federal government. And it means our citizens, our residents, particularly the families we serve, will go without the benefits that that money in, was intended to help them with. So I'm, I'm, I'm dancing around the, you know, on, the, on the, the head of a pen here to say that the legislature has a responsibility to appropriate this money and the administration has a responsibility to put forth a budget and it's not, it hasn't happened with this last round of funding and now we have a new rescue plan with a shade over $10 billion coming for these specific things that we listed and named off. And if we don't put politics aside and put families first, particularly families in need, families that have been devastated by this pandemic, then I fear that, that it does not bode well. And, and you know, I just, I'm just gonna go this far, Jerry, to say, I am not of the opinion that basic needs should be used as a political ploy by anyone, anytime, anywhere. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> being in this work and having been in it for most of my life and realizing the suffering that happens when somebody has trouble meeting their basic needs or can't meet their basic needs, my heart is with yours, Dr. Phil, and saying, gosh, why would you want to make somebody who's already suffering have a even more suffering to endure, right? Why, why would you ever want to do that? And so I think the, 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 um, the, the cards that get played in the poker game of politics, um, you know, there's so much rhetoric that passes back and forth that gets to be confusing to really understand what is it people are trying to do and, and how is it that they're trying to do it. And in that poker game, I agree with you, the state should never include food insecure people or people who are, are suffering from from not being able to meet their basic needs, right? That shouldn't be one of the stakes of the game. Um, now the stakes are high, right? And so, so I know one of the things that, that there's been a lot of debate and concern about is how much to open up the state um, in many different ways. And, and there's been a lot of frustration with the, with the dialogue around that. And that's part of the frustration that people feel. And they would make the argument that it is affecting people's livelihoods and that it is basic needs that are at stake for those people that can't make a living because we haven't done the right thing opening up the economy the way it should go. So I do try to give most people the benefit of the doubt when it comes to 
having the right heart about things, whether I'm right about that or wrong about that. It's just the world I want to live in is one where we give each other the benefit of the doubt and trust that we all want what's best for everybody and we're not a bunch of selfish people. But, uh, but having said that, I think we have to be very careful what we try to negotiate away when we're, we're playing this political poker game. Yeah, it's, it, it crosses the line for me. Um, I've been in politics most of my career. Um, been a, I'm a registered lobbyist here on behalf of the food banks. Um, and I've, I've been a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. And uh, I understand this is all part of the game that gets played. Basic needs, food security for people, that should not be in the game. Sh- as you, using your poker analogy, this should not be a chip in the game. Right. Find another, find another chip. Find another way. Find something else, but not people's basic needs, who are already struggling. I mean, I mean, Jerry, our estimates are that there could be throughout this year as many as 50 million people are food insecure in America. That is a tremendous growth of that number because of the pandemic. And I, I don't really care to devote to debate the, the what's and the wherefores and the whys of what we did or what we didn't do. I don't need to discuss the sins of omission and commission. I'm saying the reality, following your example of being very pragmatic, 50 million people. In Michigan alone, we went from 13.6 million to 19.8 million, and we're trying to come off of that. And for those who don't think that we can really influence the food security rates, then I just say hide and watch because we were doing it. When I came on the job in, in, in uh, some seven years ago, our security rate was hovering around 17%. But with all of us working together, it was moving down to 136 So we have the ability to affect this, and we can do this, and we can do it together. What we can't do it is do it separate. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point, Doctor. And so, you know, just to... To, to repeat, the, 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 the most important point here is we can't use suffering people as a pawn in our political game. We've got to get the money that, that is coming out of this uh, these federal acts to bring relief. We've got to make sure our community gets those dollars because those dollars matter to an awful lot of people. They, they in fact, do end up feeding a lot of children and the consequences of not feeding those children are so much more costly and so much more long-lasting and, frankly, despicable. We can't tolerate that as a consequence of the, the politics of the state. Nope, can't do it. So there you have it, Phil and Jerry's rant for the day. But stay tuned <laughs> because there's one more segment, and who knows what that rant will be about. Come back and be with us in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for being with us today, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. We're talking about exigent circumstances, Jerry. And, you know, one of the areas that we talk about a lot on this show, and we could, should talk about it more, in my mind, is, of course, children and hunger. Because when a child doesn't have enough food, they can never become who they might have been. 
And the child loses, the family loses, but the whole of society loses. And I, I just think that this is, is just something that is non-negotiable for us. Not just me and you, but for our entire network, for our entire Feeding America network. We, are, we should never lose another child to hunger. Well, that's right. And, and um, you know, a lot of people imagine hunger to be starvation. But hunger and starvation are two different things. Um, and when someone is food insecure, it means they're not sure where their next meal or where all their meals are going to come from for them or their family if they have a, a household of people. And so, so when we talk about our work, what we talk about is if you're hungry, you only have one problem. And until you solve that problem, you're not going to try to solve the next problem and the next problem and the next problem. And so we know that taking hunger off the table has immediate and important consequences. But our work isn't just about that. Our work is about building a safety net that really mm -hmm. works so that mm -hmm. nobody ever has to wonder will they have enough food because they will know there's a safety net that will help them make sure they never run out of food and that means you free people up you empower them and you encourage people to do the next thing that they need to do to be as successful as they can be when it's a child who's sleepy in school or distracted in school because they're hungry who would ever say well that's okay that's a good consequence you know nobody would ever say that it, 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 there's i mean so so here's the thing there's been some legislation passed it's good legislation that's going to bring some relief but we have to keep our eye on the ball for two main reasons that we talked about on the show the first one is in the short term in the next six months we're going to lose 28 million pounds of food that we had a year ago in the same six month period of time and that means a lot of food that we're going to have to get from somewhere else that's going to cost a pretty fair chunk of change and we got to find a way to do it because we will not have children hungry in our community if we can help it that's one thing the other thing is we can't let temporary relief take the place of permanent structural change that needs to be made so we never have the words child and hunger go together. And we believe we can accomplish a lot through the work of food banks to make sure we have a safety net that works for everyone who needs it. That's very well said. Very, very well said. You know, it's, it, it, is, it behooves us you know, to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, we, 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 can't, we, we can't not appreciate this legislation because it is going to make a tremendous difference in the families we serve. And you know what? Kudos to this administration for thinking about those families in that circumstance. I'm, I'm very, very appreciative. But at the same time, you know, it, we can't ignore that we need to continue to develop s systemic change uh, in order that, as you said, there are no holes in the safety net. So last word for you before the food for thought, Jerry. Well, it's been uh, a good uh, time to talk about these issues as they're unfolding in front of us. Uh, I want to assure our listeners that we are on it. We are at it. We are about it. And we are going to get this work done 
We appreciate your help and your continued work with us on this path and more to come. And that's, that's my final word. Well, time for a little food for thought. If kids without food isn't an exigent circumstance, I'm not sure what will. Exigent circumstances are meant to prevent imminent danger and loss. And what's more dangerous than a child not having the chance to become? We've said on this show for years, if they aren't well fed, they won't be well read. And that might not sound like flashing lights and a siren, but I assure you that to the child who goes to bed tonight without anything to eat, it is imminent. And it is for this reason, and if for no other, we will keep food first, folks. Food first. <laughs>